If you knew me, you would know that if I could do anything professionally, regardless of money, training, time, or place, I would be an art curator. Hi, I'm Leah Parker-Belfer, a T22, and you're listening to If You Knew Me, a grassroots podcast dedicated to celebrating diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. Hi, today I'm here with Catherine Britt at T21. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, having this conversation with me. Uh, you're squeezing me in before you graduate. I, I appreciate know, it. I know, no, I appreciate uh, fitting in a couple more tuck things so I can pretend I'm still a student. Yeah, I know this will probably come out in the summer, so it'll keep the party alive. Awesome. Um, so can you speak a little more to you know your that statement and yeah. what it means to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think... Uh, where do I begin? Maybe we start with my childhood, um, <laughs> which is always fun. So I just grew up in like a very loving, supportive, mm. and creative family. I'm an only child. My dad um, has an engineering background, so it was just like very creative and tinkering mm. and problem solving and encouraging me to build. And my mom um, just is a really remarkable artist. She went mm. to Syracuse and studied graphic design was actually an illustrator so for um, for books right for books yeah yeah, and um, magazine covers Mm. things like that and so I just grew up in this this household that was just very creative and in a a bunch of different ways in how you use your brain Um, and one of the things I just loved doing with my parents growing up was they just made an effort to taking me to museums Mm. and so some of my really early memories with my mom is going to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Yeah, MFA. Yeah. My mom has a a membership. Yeah, I mean, I I have to get my membership renewed when I get back. Um, And I think it was just, one, I think my love for art was rooted in a connection and family um, Mm -hmm. and growing up in a household that, yes, valued creativity. Um, I admired my mom growing up because she could usually put a pen or a pencil in her hand and you would just, the amazing, beautiful portraits that would come out. Wow. Um, or if we, I just have this very distinct memory of going to a restaurant with crayons and having her draw several courses for me. And she, I'm, yeah. she was very patient. Wow. Um, and so I think it started when I was young, just really loving art, loving art and just appreciating um, having access to that. And again, having parents that just kind of leaned into those curiosities mm. or um, even having the great fortune of going to like early edu- um, early childhood education that mm. um, it's funny, I actually recently found my yearbooks from like kindergarten and yeah. we did we did we did um, units on artists where mm. like for Jackson Pollock, they just sent, sent a bunch of kindergartners outside with paint and we just threw yeah. it on a sheet, right? And how cool is that to have so so young? Um, so I was really fortunate. and then um, just I like, always had an appreciation for. Yeah art museums and then when I was in college I was a neuroscience major Mm. uh, who wanted to also major in art history and really truly the only reason why I I couldn't quite pull it off was the studio class was a little too long to fit in with the double labs right Um, but it just it's just something that I've just always appreciated and found joy from and did when you were growing up did it sounds like your mom was always you know incorporating art into like your dinner, for example, you're saying mm-hmm. she just drew with crayons, but did you ever enroll in classes or did mm-hmm. it ever become more of a formal hobby? Or Yeah, so it's interesting because I actually, you know, I through elementary school, you know, you have art electives right. as long as, you know, a True. school has funding for it, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, I think I went, by the time I got to middle school and high school, you really just, you, could not, you have to start making choices. And for right. me, 
I grew up as a violinist, and so mm. art studio classes just yeah. didn't really fit in the schedule when um, you're you're playing in a couple orchestras and you're starting to make choices yeah. and you got to prioritize time um, and AP exams. So you know, I actually really didn't myself. I didn't practice art actually mm. probably until. Interestingly, actually, like the year before business school, like sometimes yeah. I would sketch, but it wasn't. Uh, I was, I think, seeing and admiring my mom's mm. abilities and not quite necessarily inheriting all those abilities. Oh. As I like to joke with her, um, if she listens to this, she'll say, "No, no, no, you, I know. Have, you have it. Um, you just need to practice." Yeah. yeah, but actually, that kind of brings me to my next point. The other reason why I appreciate art, even in a different way now, um, is because there was such a long period of time where I actually purposely didn't do it mm. or I would I would do sketches and not share it with people because I think I was trying to map my style onto someone I loved and admired mm. and um you know art is really art's a challenging thing right, right. like some, it's very personal it's very personal it's very challenging it takes a lot of discipline and practice to develop that skill and I one never really had the time to develop or sit down and have that skill. And two, I think, frankly, I'm a perfectionist. And yeah. it's really, really hard um, to have an expectation in your mind. And then when you put pen or pencil or paint to paper, yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, you think you're going to draw a house and it's a yeah. pillbox. Um, <laughs> or you think you're going to draw a portrait and it looks like something out of the Museum of Bad Art. Um, <laughs> or like, I'm just thinking of all those terrible art memes right now. And then you add the layer of also your mom is fabulous at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, I think for a while there, I, I don't know if I had – I don't think I had the maturity to get over the perfectionism yeah. to enjoy actually producing art. And so I think that's why yeah. I loved art history in college. Like, yeah. I just – those were the classes I just – I just loved that so much. Yeah. I loved the excuse to go to museums so I could see pieces and then write the papers about it. I took – seminars I did an independent study on Rococo and neoclassicism and um there I just was always attracted to the space but not quite probably at a self-actualized enough moment in Mm. my life where like I was willing to make myself vulnerable even just for myself in trying to produce art and so after I got into business school and tech you know it just felt like the world was my oyster. And And we had time. um, And we had time. And I had time. And so that was actually, I know exactly where I was the first day I started doing like line drawings. Mm. And I have this little notebook and it was a very spontaneous decision. And it's funny, I look back on it and I'm like, whoa, that's not great. But (laughs) it was was kind of a start of me actually starting to understand I can have my own style and it brings me a lot of joy. And it's also kind of flexing a part of my brain that I normally – wasn't able to yeah um and so now you know I'm as I'm coming out of tuck I'm and I'm reflecting on how I want to spend my time professionally yeah. and personally I want to make sure I'm investing time and in, like giving myself space to to experiment yeah. to have fun to incorporate incorporate play really right um in a way that I haven't probably until I got to school and so when you've been doing your line drawings um are you 
um, and I don't know the professional term. Oh, I, don't, I have no professional okay. term, so don't worry. You know, are you like <laughs> looking at things and sketching it as you see, yeah. or are you doing it from imagination? Yeah. If there's official words for this. No, I have, I have no, okay. so I have no expertise whatsoever. I am somebody who needs reference. Okay. So that was, that was a big learning. My mom doesn't really need reference. And I yeah. just, I mean, again, it's like she could sit down and she can. She can like picture a dog and, and make this dog. Yeah, she can, she can, mm-hmm. she can see reality in front of her and then layer on imagined, you know, scenes yeah, or items. elements. Yeah. And it's just like, it's. That's it's amazing. just yeah. My neuroscience background in me is like I need to see what's going on. In and your I brain. need the three D model. <laughs> I need to understand what's happening because it's just really remarkable yeah. how your visual system can then become so abstract that you can create something novel and new mm. and like layer colors or if you talk to if you talk to any artist and mm. you ask them to describe color to you, it's just it's mind blowing and it really it truly it just mm. it's made me actually reevaluate how I you know if I walk through nature or I see things yeah. And, um, I can imagine. Yeah. So for me, I'm somebody who needs reference. So it started with line line drawings with literally just like a black pen, a really beautiful black pen. And I love doing – I love drawing buildings. So I do um, pretty much straight on buildings. So I'm not great at three dimension at this point. Um, I, I know my weaknesses. That's confident humility. Um, so I used to do cityscapes, um, either beautiful – yeah. historic homes, townhouses, cottages, depending where I was. And it was great because I could throw my sketchbook in my bag. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the size of an index card, um, use references. And now that I've started painting more in the past, probably the past year, mm. um, I still need reference for if I'm doing if I'm doing something with an object in it that's not yeah. just a landscape, I like to have reference. So um, I'm, you know, oftentimes I'll just, I'll just like, you go on the Met or the MFA yeah. and like look at beautiful paintings that are a little bit more painterly, so maybe more impressionist or um, less realist, and use that as reference. Mm. And I'll try to mimic colors, and I'll try right. to like break down the composition into smaller pieces as much as I can to imitate. Um, the only times where I'm drawing from just imagination yeah. is when I I call it like times of play, mm. when it's just like I'm getting really abstract. There might be crayons involved. Yeah, I get, a, I get a good playlist going. Mm-hmm. I like, I'm like in my head. I'm thinking of Matisse. I'm thinking of like Pollock, and I, I will. I, I sometimes have to articulate to myself in those days when I just want to like be very playful. Yeah. Um, I have to tell myself it doesn't yeah, matter. You have to give yourself permission, right? Like to- I, I have to. I actually have to give myself permission to not have expectations of what's going to come out the other side. And that yeah. was a new exercise that started probably November of 2020. Yeah. And I think it was largely driven by just, you know, releasing some of the, the anxiety yeah. around the pandemic. And um, I think those exercises, and it's funny, I've talked to a couple of peers about this, about, mm. um, and I actually listened to a podcast that talked about the laughter cliff. And once mm. you're 23, you actually, you don't, you don't laugh as much. You don't play as much. That's heartbreaking. And it's really heartbreaking yeah. because, wow. that, you know, I think there's something to be said about play and driving not only creativity but just driving joy as being a person yeah. and so I had listened to that I had kind of thought about it and then in parallel was started like becoming more playful in my art and I think moving forward I just yeah. want to make sure I'm creating protected time to give myself permission to just like be goofy and yeah. be vulnerable with myself and not judge uh, an output necessarily Definitely. And I want to just double click on another aspect of your statement. You know, you mentioned, you know, it's if, you know, if you didn't, if you weren't restricted by resource, time, money, if you weren't bounded. Um, 
So when you think back to when you decided to pursue, let's say, neuroscience or something yeah. else, did you actually have that decision? Were you making an active decision to, to push away or? Yeah, I don't think so. I think, I think when I started school, I was really excited about neuroscience because it kind of felt like the last frontier, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and it was a field where, and it still is a field. I mean, the amazing thing is a lot of what I've learned, and I graduated 2015, it's 2021, so six years. A lot of what I've learned is actually already out of date. Mm. Um, and it just was this this major where there were so many more questions than answers. And that was really attractive to me. I'm just somebody who's really curious. Again, yeah. parents totally get credit for fostering that curiosity in me. Um, and then I honestly just took art history kind of to balance out my load. And yeah. again, I think... And use nothing, a different part of your brain. Use a different part of my brain. Yeah. And if nothing else, I remember my first class was a survey class in 1400 to 1800 European art history. And mm-hmm. that was kind of the sweet spot of the art that I enjoyed, like, you know, kind of consuming with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a as a freshman in college, sometimes familiarity helps yeah. when you're navigating well, the transition, transition, right? right? Um, I hear you. So, you know, the I don't think I fully appreciated the role of an art curator, honestly, until maybe the end of college and then mm. actually when I was in Boston. And I think part of the reason why it's an attractive career in my mind is um, – and I've also just been kind of thinking about it. And I know a few art curators uh, from some social engagements and running in Boston um, – it's a really important role for storytelling mm, mm-hmm. and being able to be intentional about how we tell history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a role that is a mix between anthropology, mm. behavioral scientist, historian, and also being an artist. Mm. Um, and I just love kind of the confluence of all those roles mm-hmm. and the social commentary that comes from it. Um, so it certainly wasn't – it's not like I uh, – I was not going to college thinking, oh, how cool would it be an art hist- or art, art curator? And yeah, but is it practical? No, it really. It was more of I, I started to appreciate that role in mm-hmm. communities and societies, probably after I had done so much work in art history, right. as well as taking cognitive science classes, where I started kind of seeing these these threads of commonality between. Yeah. Why, the, the brain works in a certain way, and you can think about mechanisms of why humans behave the way they do. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love the behavioral and cognitive science. I think that's a big reason why I love getting my MBA, because mm-hmm. I can take organizational behavior courses mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of play off um, these mechanisms. Um, art, art is similar in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Art can is not only a product of individuals creating the art and the times yeah. and the places where they come from, but it also is there to inspire or to incite mm-hmm. and can um, push behavior and kind of nudge people in certain yeah, ways. And definitely. Even down to, like, one of my favorite things I studied was um, my independent study. I, I literally studied, like, furniture design mm, yeah, and like, how yeah. the curve of a chair or a secret drawer would reveal someone's status. And I just thought, okay, this is really interesting. So I was getting kind of a neuroscience yeah. – lever of behavior which is maybe a little bit more scientific but I was also getting kind of the the cultural art history mm. design aesthetic um visual lever yeah nudging people I love that they reflecting. marry together in a really nice way I try to make them marry I mean that might be more of a rationalization <laughs> force fit <laughs> um, yeah but yeah no, I think they do it's it's at the end of the day I just think I'm really attracted to things that reflect why people behave the way yeah. they do um, 
and then hopefully inspire mm-hmm. others to to follow in like good behavior or good choices and, mm-hmm. and um, positive choices for the community. I love that. Um, the time has flown by, Catherine. <laughs> so <laughs> to end with a fun question. Sure. Um, what is uh, what book are, are you reading right now? So I just started. I'm a little late to the game, but uh, Barack Obama's memoir, mm. and I'm picking Volume it up now. Volume one. Volume one. Um, yeah. So I'm picking it up now, and uh, I'm going to read it um, when I go to Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. In the perfect environment, close <laughs> to where he recorded his audiobook. Um, I have the audio version. So maybe I'll have to maybe I'll have to uh, get that from the library. But yeah, I'm excited to dive in. Um, I just, I think he's a, he's obviously a great communicator and writer Mm. and I think there's, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to reading it. Yeah. Well, let me know what you think. You'll probably beat me to finishing it (laughs) as I'll be working this summer and turning the summer. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks. This was really great. Thanks, Catherine. This was awesome. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of If You Knew Me. I founded the If You Knew Me podcast back in the fall of 2020 to help deepen student connections and foster a culture of belonging here at Tuck. Please check out our other episodes to support and learn more about other Tuckies. Special thanks to my partner, Alex Mitko, for helping with sound production. If you have any questions or feedback on the podcast, or if you want to be featured in a future episode, please contact us at the email address listed in the description.